0: Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim
1: and Shannon.
0: It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this family-friendly Friday episode. We actually have another candidate in studio with us today over the phone because of her busy schedule. But we've had lots of candidates in recently because your ballots are in hand. And we've got to make good decisions on who we put into office so let's make an educated vote share this show with your friends and we're going to jump into that interview after some inspiration
1: our inspiration today talks about the power of voice the most powerful orators in history are often those leaders who've used their voices to bring about positive change Consider Frederick Douglass, whose speeches on abolition and liberty spurred a movement that helped lead to the end of slavery in the United States. What if he'd chosen to be silent? We all possess the cap- the capacity to use our voice to inspire and help others, but the fear of speaking out can be paralyzing. In the moments when we feel overwhelmed by this fear, we can look to God, our source of divine wisdom and encouragement, When God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, he immediately began to doubt his own abilities. He cried out, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But God wouldn't allow Jeremiah's fear to get in the way of his divine calling to inspire a generation through his voice. Instead, he instructed the prophet to simply trust God by saying and doing whatever he commanded. In addition to affirming Jeremiah, he also equipped him. I have put my words in your mouth, he assured him. When we ask God to show us how he wants to use us, he'll equip us to carry out our purpose. With his help, we can boldly use our voice to make a positive impact on those around us. Heavenly Father, give us the strength to use the power of our words to influence those around us for the better. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Well, I'm going to have to say we have a great opportunity in influencing those to make good decisions and use the power of our voice in uh, elections and voting. And we have a candidate in today who is running for the top position in the city of Spokane. That would be Mayor Nadine Woodward. We're going to do the first half on city issues and, and let the Mayor Woodward tell us what's going on. And in the second half, we'll be covering some campaign issues. So welcome to the show, Nadine.
2: Thank you, Tim. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out this evening. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at the city level. I know there's been a a lot of things going on. Politics aside, in trying to you know deal with inflation and issues with our city budget, issues with uh, uh, policing, public safety. So go ahead and and let us know what the city's you know had going on.
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. The the, the top two priorities um, coming into office, and certainly what I hear when I'm out in the neighborhoods and talking to businesses is public safety, and homelessness. Um, We have initiated some emphasis patrols in our downtown area with SPD uh, to focus on some of the real challenging locations, uh, most recently around Second and Division, which is our major city gateway right off of Interstate 90. Uh, We have found that to be an especially challenging uh, area regarding uh, drug use, the sale of drugs, and uh, overdoses. Now that we have some tools uh, that we can enforce drug possession and drug use in public spaces um, for the first time in several years. Yeah, that seemed like a
0: really tough situation that we were in there for a couple of years where I think different than any other state in the nation, we just said we weren't going to enforce laws around uh, public drug use and people being on the streets you know, passed out.
2: Well, we decriminalized simple possession. So for two years, our officers did not cite or charge. The Blake decision at the state Supreme Court decided that you could not arrest uh, for a felony for drug possession. So they it instructed officers to refer people to treatment twice, before they could cite them with drug possession. And it was a very difficult policy to follow and try to keep track of how many people you've approached, how many people you've tried to refer to services. And then the state didn't fund the mandate. They mandated referral to treatment but didn't provide more funding for treatment programs to refer people to.
0: Well, it seems like that's what your challenge has been for the most part is is as the administrator, basically, of our city, you have to follow state laws. And when the state has misguided laws, whether it's through the judiciary or through public policy in the legislature, the our local police, I just had an interview last week with Police Chief Craig Meidel, and we've had the sheriff in and talked about that transition from felony drug possession, to not enforcing the law, now it's a a gross misdemeanor, so now we can enforce the laws, kind of, but then it's also put on the local government's plate financially to do those prosecutions and the short-term incarcerations.
2: Well, and right now, because of the fact that there's no jail capacity at the Spokane County Jail, they don't typically uh, detain anybody with a misdemeanor.
3: Yeah.
0: So
2: whether that's a simple or a gross misdemeanor, those individuals, unless they have other charges on top of that, like warrants out for their arrest, they don't get detained at all.
0: And that can but be a problem with our our law enforcement. I've discussed this with people and also officers that they'll arrest someone for criminal activity at the beginning of a shift and sometimes they'll end up arresting. This has happened where they arrest the same individual before the end of their shift. And because we're or, not able to hold them
2: they arrest an individual they get booked into the jail and the officer is in their vehicle filling out the form the report and that individual is released before they even complete that report.
0: And that's one of the and things I've very
2: de- demoralizing to our officers.
0: Well our officers and our community because folks are out there they're trying to get a police report number because they have to do an insurance claim on damages to their property and the person who did the damage is released before the insurance paperwork filled out. So similarly with our law enforcement and that booking. And what's interesting interesting about this is we did discuss this topic on the show uh, just a week and a half or two ago. And on Sunday, this last Sunday, the local newspaper, the Spokesman Review, did an article that said it was, uh, what's the name of the article, Shannon, again?
1: It was, No Bail System Confounds All Sides. People accused of violent felonies were released on their own recognizance 665 times since 2021.
0: So just the last couple of years, and that's right here in the Spokane area. Um, so what are your thoughts there with is local government and how you handle that?
2: Well, it's really difficult, um, especially in the two-year period that we did decriminalize drugs. The state of Washington now leads the nation. We are number one in the percentage increase of overdose deaths.
1: It's so very we sad. have people
2: who are addicted on the streets that don't want help or not in a position to accept help. And are and victimizing businesses and neighborhoods to fuel their habit. Some of them are smoking meth every hour to keep their high. Our our firefighters they 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 spend more time administering Narcan to reduce overdoses than they than they do even on on you know fighting fires. Right. It's 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 a crisis on our streets and our streets and sidewalks are littered with bad state policy.
1: And I think it's even a bigger crisis when we can't say you're not in the right frame of mind to make a good decision for yourself. Let's get you some help. I, the state yeah. has really removed our ability to be able to to love on people and say, hey, we love you enough to not let you do this to yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, then it's a sad situation, too, when we talk about our Health and Human Services, a lot of our state and local budgets uh, having to do with that, plus criminal activity, a lot of it is tied to drug use, even though we know, as, pol- as, you know, I'm a policy wonk, I guess, but our legislature should know we've done surveys and studies, and the vast majority of drug addicts wish they could be free from the addiction.
2: And I've heard from many, many parents whose children died of overdoses who had wished the system had actually, the judicial system had been working the way it should and that those individuals ended up in jail well, these are parents of young adults who have died of overdoses if they had gone to jail that would have been the impetus for them to get help.
1: And we had a law, we had uh, Ricky's law, that actually could have been enforced that would allow officers to go ahead and pick up family members Family members, um, if a family had called it in, but it seems to be that kind of got squelched by the state law so that our officers weren't even able to do that. Well,
0: and families weren't able to, to save their other family member from a possible overdose. So I, I do want to transition our conversation because we could talk about this thing all night long. <laughs> Uh, because it is so important, but we do need our state legislature, uh, this next session coming up. Citizens need to be engaged with their lawmakers to make good decisions so that we see less people. Of course, number one cause of death, 18 to 45 year olds. It's a problem. In any other area of life, we would call it an epidemic. We're not doing that enough. We need our legislature to act. But let's talk about some other local things because a lot of us really do appreciate snow removal and that time of season is coming. And we also like to have those potholes filled. I noticed city government's been doing, I think, a pretty good job here recently in hurrying up and getting some asphalt covering some of those streets that are in bad repair.
2: Well, you know, we have two seasons in the city of Spokane, and that's snow season and construction season.
0: <laughs> so that's, that's right. I think-
2: You see a lot of construction projects going on right now trying to run uh, the race with the clock before the the first snow flies. And it looks like if you look at our forecast, we could be getting some Tuesday night snow into Wednesday snow. So Wednesday, we are uh, having a news conference on what the snow plan is for the city of Spokane. But one of the things that's always our goal... When it comes to removing snow as we enter the season, it looks like it's just a couple days away. And that is being able to provide a full city plow within three days. That's been reduced from four to three days. And being able to um, get to the streets quicker when we reload materials, whether that's de-icer or sand or um, other items that we use. Because now we deploy uh, those materials in different areas of the city. So we don't have to continually go to one location to refill and then go back out into into neighborhoods. So that's really uh, shortened the amount of response time we have uh, to hit those streets and make them safe for for our motorists
0: well and I like the city's uh, approach to this and I know that your administration has improved that response and I last year was such a big struggle because winter came before the leaves got to fall and it just yeah. was here and that's why when I noticed these projects where they're putting you know, a layer of asphalt over some crumbling roadway that needs replaced. They're doing that to diminish the potholes through the winter and also save I think our plow equipment so it's not being damaged hitting um asphalt that's that's decaying. So, uh, you know, even though on this show we are critical of of government and often the ele- <laughs> elected officials, uh, the people that I will never be that critical of is those those plow truck drivers, those guys that hey, go huh. out in the early AM hours and try to make people's commutes safer or those people that are you know give those road construction crews a break pass them slowly give them extra room they're out there trying to make our our roads safe for the the coming season so give them a little bit of room and remember those plow trucks if they plow you in just remember just go out there and remove that little bit of a berm and remember that the rest of the roadway is clear for that commute so uh anything else on the city that you want to cover in the next uh, minute or so
2: Well, let me also add, when it comes to those berms that you're talking about, those are a real frustration for people. And we're trying to do our best to add those snow gates to every single year, more snow gates to our plows, so we can lift those gates and not plow people into their driveways or, you know, make it harder um, for them to have to shovel out their sidewalks. So we're always working to improve because we know we can always do better. One other thing I want to add real quickly that we just did in the last couple of weeks when it comes to uh, the issue of homelessness. I have signed on with mayors from across the state of Washington and up and down the West Coast to uh, petition the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Martin v. Boise. Martin v. Boise is a Ninth Circuit Court appeals case that requires cities uh, to provide low barrier night by night shelter beds in order to remove people off of Uh, the streets, sidewalks, and public spaces when they're uh, camping. And we cannot continue to be bound by that decision. We want the Supreme Court to make a decision for us so that we're not spending all of our resources on those low barrier beds. They're extremely expensive to operate, as we've seen with TRAC, the Trent Resource and Assistance Center, $9 million a year. And we need to put our money and resources into programs that actually have better outcomes than just emergency shelter.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I think low barrier turns into no barrier and We also need those services to help hold people accountable. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. Again, we're going to be back with Mayor Nadine Woodward. We're going to talk a little bit about the campaign when we come back. So don't go anywhere, folks.
3: The Citizens Alliance for Property Rights has published our ratings of 2023 candidates for office in Washington State. Find these on our website at capr.us. Councilman Arnie Woodard and former state representative and council candidate Rob Chase of the city of Spokane Valley were both rated outstanding property rights advocates. Among those candidates rated good by CAPER are Nadine Woodward, Kim Pleece, Michael Cathcart, Earl Moore, Jessica Yeager, and Erica Lalka. Go to our website for more ratings. That's caper.us, c-a-p-r.us. Tim and Shannon have published their interviews of many candidates on their website. Find those at RightSpokanePerspective.com. Finally, don't forget to mail in your ballots by November 7th. Good candidates are counting on you to vote.
0: And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this family Friendly Friday episode, and part of the reason why it's family-friendly is because we are talking about the family's rights to engage with government, and that's making sure you, your children, everyone that's registered to vote in your household, maybe in your community surrounding you, is turning out to vote. We need to get those ballots turned in. Local government is the one that's closest to us, and has the greatest impact on our daily lives, the quality of our lives, the criminal justice system, potholes, and those sorts of things. Again, we've got Nadine Woodward, mayor of city of Spokane on the phone with us this evening. We're going to jump into the second half of this discussion, talking about the campaign and Nadine, I'd like to start with the budget mayor. It's been a discussion. I look at the media and I see politics attacking the mayor's administration your administration for the budget when on this show i've covered the priorities of city budget from the city council's perspective and they're the ones that have been setting up things and spending the money years before you came into office. So to be critical of your budget uh, seems disingenuous.
2: Well, and let's make sure that your listeners understand that the legislative branch of government, the city council, they hold the purse strings of the budget. They decide how the money is spent. And they've approved the last three budgets that I've put forth to to them. Our budget for 2024 did begin with a, as we were creating it, it's a $1.2 billion budget, did have a $20 million structural gap, which means that there was a hole in the budget. But we're not like, uh, unlike any other city across the state of Washington, where we are seeing revenues not keep up with expenditures. And it's happening in most of your listeners' household budgets as well, or anybody who's listening to that has has a business. So the cost of goods to government Exceed the cost of goods to consumers. Well, like we our talked revenues.
0: about in the first half, you know, the plow trucks are very integral part of what people expect from city government. When the price of diesel goes up, those things run on diesel.
2: Gas fuel is way up. Fleet to replace our, our aging fleet is way up. And I'll just tell you, too, we have invested in our employees because of the unprecedented workforce shortages and how difficult it is to hire, we are investing in the people who carry out the services that our community expects so that we actually have a workforce at City Hall. But I presented a balanced budget to the council My preliminary balanced budget, October 2nd, we're having conversations about how we fill that gap. We're doing it through efficiencies within the city, a hiring freeze, and looking at ways that we can increase revenues. And then November 2nd, I give them my final proposed budget, and then they will spend uh, the rest of November deciding what changes they're going to make, and then they will pass it. But the law requires that no matter what structural gap we may have, I have to give them a balanced budget and that's what they have in their hands right now.
0: Well, and when you propose that balanced budget, you are forced to do so in with the constraints of the prerogatives of past city councils and the current city council on things that they've directed funding directed towards
2: yes the city of spokane we have had clean audits every year Uh, we even got a national budgeting award because of past budgets based on policies procedures and uh, processes while my challenger lisa brown has criticized our budget process has even said that if she's elected the first person she's going to fire is our chief financial officer, Tanya Wallace. Who talks like that? How disrespectful and unprofessional. While she was at Commerce for three years, a state audit found that there were a half a billion dollars in Commerce funds that did not go through the proper process to subrecipients.
0: And that's pretty amazing. The audits that you bring up, a lot of folks are not familiar with what those audits look like. So you have the state auditing municipal governments you have outside entities doing these audits and oftentimes in these audits when i've read them and folks i know that's kind of a weird thing for someone to read audits because they're not really exciting (laughs) but in these audits at the end of them Typically, what you see is the auditors will say that there was not significant process and procedures put in place to properly follow the money. So, if you see this in your audits, that's a problem. We see that a lot with state government, and especially we've seen that with the Department of Commerce with how much money the state has put into those places, which is why uh, we have a candidate that can boast about funding everything under the sun when really it was our tax dollars funding it and then were those funds used properly? That's another discussion we probably wouldn't hear about in political debates. So looking at the budget, I know that the city council, also members on the council were, I think quoted in the press being derogatory towards your administration, even though the city council has grown their budget two or three fold over the last decade. And if they wanted to save the first million dollars, it could come out of the city council's personal budget.
2: The city council's budget has increased 85% in the last 10 years, while the mayor's budget has remained stagnant.
0: The newspaper article I read, it looked like the mayor's budget went down several hundred thousand dollars.
2: Well, we just, we just cut it because of the structural gap.
0: Yeah, I think yes. the city council needs to be honest and and probably fiscally responsible and and do the same thing and quit just funding new positions for people, friends they have that might want to push a certain agenda. That's the direction I've seen it go. So what else have you seen on the campaign trail that has seemed underhanded? Because a lot of people want to make a good informed decision. We do lots of candidate interviews. We go, again, folks, go to RightSpokanePerspective.com. There's a lot of candidates we've interviewed at the local level because we need to make that informed decision. But in the campaign process, we get misinformed a lot. What kind of misinformation do you think has been put out there in uh, races in the city, primarily your race?
2: Well, I think it's really important that people know Lisa's history in Olympia. Um, The tax increases that, once she was a Senate Majority Leader, uh, the $2 billion in tax increases she approved. The fact that she sued the voters to increase their taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, all kinds of taxes. And I'm going to tell you something that's really, um, I, I can't believe how... Hypocritical this is, Lisa Brown lives in a million-dollar townhouse in Kendall Yards, and she raises everybody else's property taxes, but she exercises a loophole where she only has to spend a $1,000 in property taxes.
0: What? $1,000. So-
2: Dollars in property taxes because of a multi-family tax exemption, which that's fine if people want to exercise that. But the fact that she has spent most of her political career raising everybody else's taxes, and to balance the budget, by the way, back back during the recession, she gutted higher education. She cut higher education's budget by. And that's why we've seen post-secondary education at colleges and universities skyrocket and is really a barrier for a lot of our young people to even go to school anymore. So just the hypocrisy. And then the fact that when it comes to public safety and homelessness, she's calling for so-called safe parking lots so people can live in their cars in RVs and parking lots in your neighborhood. So many camp hopes throughout the city. And then she opposes prop. One, a common sense uh, initiative measure on our ballot, which would prevent camping a thousand feet from schools, parks, and licensed daycares. She opposes that. So I
0: have to I have to tell you, Nadine, that I am, Mayor, I am offended that we even have to vote on it. Really? We're, we have to vote yeah. on illegal camping near where children are cared for and educated. I thought that was already, th- I thought it was already the law to not illegally camp. And I thought we... Had laws in place to keep predators, to keep people doing criminal activity like open drug use, away from places where children are uh, educated and cared for.
2: Well, our city council refused to put that in our uh, revised illegal camping ordinance. Now, listen, if I had more people on city council that had common sense and were sensible... And looked at these kinds of things the way you and I do, we would have gotten that passed at this in a, in a city ordinance. But there are our existing current city council refused to include that in our revised camping ordinance.
0: Well, I think that having to vote on this is a referendum on the city council. I think that the voters will roundly approve keeping Camp Hopes. Um, On this show, we've called them Camp Dopes because we know the primary thing that's happening there. I know it's not popular to say that in the press, but we have to look at the reality of the things that are happening on the ground. And I know that your opponent helped fund more of that stuff. And to think about parking lots and more city resources being used to more or less subsidized drug use and criminal activity, I think that's not the direction that most of the voters and taxpayers want to go. We we want our children to be safe. We want safe communities. And the people that are out there that need help, that they get help, but they yes. get held accountable for that help, and it's not just a continuous flow of funds. It's a hand up instead of a handout. Right.
2: Yep, yep. Absolutely. Now, the city of Spokane, we have people living far below the median income of $60,000 in the county. Some of them are living with less than $30,000. I was just in Hilliard today, District 1 campaigning and knocking on doors. These are tough, hardworking people people who see all these handouts for people who don't want help, and they're pretty frustrated with the fact that they said, where's our help from government? We're, we're working paycheck to paycheck, barely making ends meet. We can't take our kids to the couple parks that we have in our district. Where is our help? Why is all of the government money going to help those who refuse to be accountable for their own behaviors, their own actions, and it's not right. And that's what I hear all the time.
0: Yeah, and I think that we go back to a time, you know, the 1990s when there was an explosion in methamphetamines. And there were some things that got put into place to curb that. And it seems like we decided, oh, the war on drugs hasn't worked. And now we've realized that since we've quit fighting the war on drugs, the drugs have won. And now we well, got to start is, pushing back.
2: Yeah, it, there is a drug crisis a, and a fentanyl crisis. Before it was, you know, heroin, cocaine, then it became meth. Now it's fentanyl. And like I said, you know, our I, I talk to families mothers who say I can't take my kids to the park it's not just the needles anymore it's the fentanyl foil. We're even hearing of people walking their dogs in the parks and their pets lick a piece of foil and die. People who can't use the restrooms in our parks and we are a beautiful city with so many amenities. We have we have 90 plus parks in our neighborhoods and and people don't even feel safe going into the parks. We need to get tough on crime. I say we need to make crime illegal again because you know what? We've we've become soft on crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the criminals aren't held accountable anymore, and the victims are the ones who are suffering. Um, even they're 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 left out of the equation completely.
0: Yeah, it does seem like we are looking at a criminal justice system that is being transformed to look at the criminals rights or the criminal's yeah. needs or uh, the drug addiction problem. And we're, we're forgetting about all the victims of these crimes, whether it's the cost at retailers or property damage at residences, destruction at at small businesses. And I I think a holistic approach, looking at the whole view of things, is probably the better way to do it, and we just need to remember to get back to that at some point in uh, not just local government, but state government. I know that a lot of those issues that you have are emanating from Olympia, and you've advocated for a lot of change there.
2: Well, and I really believe that. I've lived in this uh, city, this beautiful city that really adopted me. I'm a transplant I've been here 33 years. I covered the news for 28 years, elections every single one of those years. I believe this election is the most important election since I've been in the city for 33 years. We are at a tipping point. Are we going to continue to go further left and lose our city completely? And it's going to be a duplicate of other failed cities up and down the West Coast. Or are we going to take back our city? And elect people with common sense who are looking out for the safety of our neighborhoods, our residents, who are going to help our businesses succeed, provide opportunities for those who need more opportunities, and make sure that we continue on the right path to success. This is it. This pendulum cannot go any further left. I fear we will not get our city back if that happens.
0: Well, I do have that same concern in my lifetime. I was born in Spokane. I've never seen such an agenda-driven, advocate-type, activist form of government. We used to just have good good old-fashioned residents that wanted to help run a successful city. That's changed in the last decade. I'm hoping that we have a return to common sense, common knowledge, and policies that work for everyone, including the taxpayer. Thanks for your time today on the show. I appreciate uh, your willingness to rerun for office and take the time with us on the show today.
2: Thank you, Tim and Shannon, very much. I appreciate uh, the time to be on your show.
0: All that, folks, being said, we want you to turn out and vote. Everyone needs to grab those ballots. Go to RightSpokanePerspective.com. Listen to the interviews. Share the interviews. Let's make informed decisions so that we can see a thriving city, county, schools. That's what we're voting on. It's those local elections where you have the loudest voice because there's low voter turnout. It's time to get your friends, neighbors, congregation members, and uh, fellow man and woman to vote. If they've got a ballot, get them turned in. We'll see you folks again on Monday. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.